0: This is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For this episode, I chat with Michael Mills and we talk about it all from his journey in entertainment and theater to his worldwide travels and lessons learned. So I hope you enjoyed this part one with Michael Mills. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe. And today with me on Zoom is Michael Mills. Michael, thank you for joining me today. Hello, Clay. How are you? <laughs> I'm fantastic, Michael. <laughs> this, is, this is such an exciting conversation. We've known each other now for my goodness. almost three years? This but, yeah. Time flies. And we're working together. DDM Productions. We're going to talk about that and so much more. Um, I want to just let's just bring it back to the beginning of time for Michael Mills. What were your entertainment dreams growing up?:
1: Oh, to be the star of the show. It was as simple as that. I'm a third child, a very, very large Italian Catholic family. My mother was one of 13. She was a twin. She, uh, you know, just sort of was a, a, a bundle of of love and joy and energy, sometimes too much. And it was uh, a role that I was placed. I had uh, puppet shows behind the television i had dramatic renditions on the screened in porch um that i soon realized i could charge the neighborhood for and was making a nice little healthy profit which was the first time i was making money as a producer <laughs> and it's nice to know that that's that's happening now even though that was sort of touch and go for a while but uh, just everything um so the entertainment dreams, I, I grew up in a little, a little town in northwest New Jersey called Newton, New Jersey. At that time, it was really tiny. And New York City, an hour away by car, was a long way away. Mm-hmm. Um, pe- when people said they were going to the city, people would get gasps of, oh, I can't believe that, or be careful. That <laughs> was a different time, but that was my dream. You know, the, the closest sometimes I got there when I was young, there was the dinner theater on Route 46. O'Neills? Neil's—I can't remember the name of it—but sure, we sure. would go there every now and then. And I was—I was very little, but there was something about it, just something about the song and dance man, the ingenue that i, I wanted to be. As long as everything else, I, I at that time, I really thought my life would be a—you know—sort of in the psychology world or a paleontologist or a fireman. I mean, it was sort of all, all over the place. But um, I really got involved uh in high school did the whole high school thing we had a great group called the players theater and uh i remember at the ripe old age of 16 doing a rousing production of jb by archibald mcleish where you know me and my husky self screaming and wailing you know thou have forsaken me <laughs> like, what director allowed that to happen well so then, and then with the with the drama club, you take trips into New York. So I got to yeah. see, you know, just incredible things, you know, original casts of some of the most amazing shows. And it was probably in, uh, I think it may be in chorus line that um, up there in the top balcony that just something spoke to me. It was like, Oh, this is it. And I was going to find a way in there, but I didn't really know what that was. I, uh, you know, at the, at the end of, uh high school in my junior year beginning my senior year i was an exchange student to new zealand and at that time this was a long time ago 1977 um new zealand was unknown to americans really everybody thought that i was going to greenland is what they thought it was um i myself wasn't all that (laughs) sure where it was Mm -hmm. but I, i went and i was um just enamored with the place and they were enamored with me because i was an american uh i was called american mike you know they had little (laughs) badge that they made before that and um i very quickly i I called into a radio show i had gone to see the movie shampoo and um i called in because they were talking about shampoo and i said that i couldn't believe how much the new zealanders cut it to shreds just in their idea of what was uh possible for for movies they just cut everything out of it and i called oh. to complain i was 17 at that time so i was much older and wiser and uh so they offered me my own radio show and so i did Wait, a radio on. show on the
0: spot they offered you a radio show <laughs>
1: well, as, as a follow-up they just said it was kind of interesting and again americans were a novelty and it was fantastic and you know i've i've always been curious curiosity drives me all the time and so I, I was curious about the people in the country. And it's such an amazing country. And you know, I spent uh, six, eight weeks traveling around the entire country with my school group, eighth form, uh, sort of senior year equivalent, traveling around. And we used to go to theaters. And we would see a lot of Maori, the um, indigenous people, uh, theatrical performances. And, and it was really very exciting TV show. And then for a very short time, I was a regular guest. On a TV station, of which I cannot find anything uh, of that. But so, I, and I've stayed in touch and been back a few times in my business career, which maybe we'll talk about. I got a chance to travel around the world so many times; it was great. But I, I went back there, and everything. Every time I would travel, it was always going back to theater. So, I guess when you ask me, when did I know, or if that was the question, it's been always. But mm. it wasn't the only thing. There were so many other things. So uh i when i came back from new zealand with a beard and an accent (laughs) which was (laughs) sort of the theatrical side of me i wasn't really sure and i went on a college visit with a buddy of mine he was going to dc to look at american university i wasn't sure whether i I was going to go i was going to take a gap year which at that time was scandalous Hmm. because i already had taken a gap year by being in new zealand he was in dc i loved the city we went to gw I loved it. I had brought my transcripts with me just on a whim, and I got accepted on the spot. And the New Zealand thing, I'm telling you, was an extracurricular activity that was sought after in good yeah. grades and all that. So I went to GW, which was fantastic. It was a urban school, majored in communications, minored in psychology, but spent most of my time in the theater building. Mm. And did really great roles and uh, sort of had an epiphany during a, a run of Summer and Smoke, where i played dr johnny that the ingenue was for me and i uh, won a competition the urtas if you know what those are I, I won that and you go to new york and you did your monologues on stage and then people gave you offers and i got a lot of offers and i settled on the oslo theater in sarasota i would get a um, degree from university of florida i would get my equity card at the end of the run and i didn't ever have to go to is it Tallahassee? I think that's where the, the main University of Florida is in Tallahassee. Yep. I would just simply stay there. And um, I, I got down there. Um, I was working as a clown in Washington, D.C. for a company called Town Clowns. We would deliver balloons and ten minutes of unbridled frivolity by a, <laughs> a politically and socially incorrect clown was my character, Mr. Baffo but it was great. And I was making a good living at it. When I got to Florida, it was different. And I realized that's not what I wanted. I wanted to go to New York. So I packed up all my stuff in the car that I had just drove down in, went to New York and landed a sweet, um, apartment on Washington street and started becoming an actor in New York. And, uh,
0: Goodness, I I'll,
1: so, I'll stop talking. Now. <laughs> I have so many
0: questions. For a second, back to the TV yeah. show. What was your position there? What were you? Why were you on? Uh, what just, was that?
1: It was a, just a guest commentator on, on 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 the the Americans' perspective on all things global.
0: <laughs> so what around? TV. Would you would well, you it was, make it sound like? Would you just be completely honest, or would you kind of play it up a little bit and be like, you know? hot dogs and hamburgers well, or something.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, that, that that was the thing. I mean, we had just come out of the, yeah, you have to realize that I, I would go do speeches to school groups and, um, you know, I brought my uh, Cub Scout uniform and a jar of pennies. And, and that was all I really needed. Passing out pennies was Americans were really um, big, big deal, a big deal that most people would do their round the world trek after they graduated from college, stop in, America and then go back to New Zealand and never leave again so it was an exotic place and I just I just commented on it was mostly light and airy things festivals I I taught my um, my school how to play American football we had the red barons versus the blue I can't remember um my father was great. He sent me footballs and rule books. And and, and I thought some of the cheerleaders had to be cheerleaders. And so that was the first time that they I was on TV was for that. And then uh, I introduced uh, Thanksgiving and Halloween. And it was in a little tiny town called Mount Maunganui. It was a gorgeous, extinct volcano at the end of this peninsula. Lived yeah. on the beach, kind of where it started my passion for the beach. But it was just about my... Uh, around a lot of holidays um, and the differences in, in the holidays, they, they had no idea what Halloween was. Mm. It was funny. We were, I told them that you go to house to house and explain trick or treating. And little did I realize I, I arranged 10 different houses that we would go to and had a bunch of exchange students. But when we got there, every single one of the houses had prepared a full meal and dessert. So they kind of, maybe in my enthusiasm, they they, they misunderstood or, or over understood. So a lot of to-go containers and there were some other Americans with me. So that, that was fun, but it was just commenting. I've always been, always been curious and loved finding out about different things and different cultures. The theater scene wasn't much um, mm. in Auckland. There was a little bit, but yeah, the TV show was just me commenting on things that they thought I understood and knew about at 17 years old.
0: Okay. That's, <laughs> that's incredible. That's an incredible story. The, um, and the other, the other one that's standing out my mind, clowning now, yeah. <laughs> was that just, was that just a, a, a you know, make ends meet temporary thing or is there a real passion for that? Is there stuff you learned about, you know, communicating and being, because I mean, that's an art form. That i don't think many people realize is you know
1: yeah and and you know um with all 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 fairness to the to the the uh, experienced clowns i was definitely a sideshow clown i was the primary business i would do one hour shows for kids where i did a lot of sleight of hand and imagination and sure really just kind of sat on the floor and and played with them um but as a clown so you get a lot of attention and at that time i didn't get a lot of screaming kids. I've never, I never really liked clowns. Hmm. Um, but um, I got a little I, I Washington Post did an article on me. It was a, a column called The Day in the Life, and it followed me around for uh, a week in the life. It followed me around for a week and what I was doing. And yeah, I, just, I needed to make some money. I was a waiter at a restaurant on Washington Circle, and that wasn't making the money that I wanted. And also, I couldn't be in shows if it was at night. So... I answered an ad in the school newspaper that said, are you a clown? And it just simply had a phone number. Okay. I went and opened the front door and this clown answered the door. Of
0: like course. full makeup.
1: <laughs> full makeup. And and she was a silent clown. And uh, so then this woman comes cascading down the stairs in this huge, big, flowing white mumu and this very extravagant just big personality. And she said, Are you a clown? And I said, eh, That's what my mother says, and she said, Okay, do something to this. And she put on a, a sped up version, like a 78 version of um, so long farewell. So I did a little pantomime and picked up things around the house and ended up picking her up and trolling her around. And she said, Can you start tonight? And I, I picked out what I thought was a, a slimming costume, you know, vertical stripes, and that uh, was off. And huh. I, I had a bolt I, I was driving a 1974 Volkswagen at the time, so I thought that was good. And uh, yeah, I, just, I would do deliveries. I would deliver balloons, read these kind of racy poems that were celebrating the event. I, I clowned at the White House twice, once for Ed Meese, who was in the... Whose administration was he? And I cannot remember. Reagan's? Probably, yeah. Um, I did the State Department, I, I most of the restaurants in town. It was great. It was and it and it made me almost as much money as I made in the corporate world. Mm. <laughs> which was yeah. very very silly. And it was a it was a job. But when I came back from uh Florida I, I picked it up again and I uh then I said, oh, I gotta get to New York. So I did the New York thing, which was good and, and that wasn't clowning, that was more serious. I had, you know, studied a lot and really loved acting. And uh New York was tough. It was really tough, you know that. Yeah, and uh, I'm a I'm a more of a character actor, but I had fancied myself as an ingenue. So, um, oh, m- before I went to New York, I went to L.A. on a cross country trip, and I got a meeting with somebody at APA, the agency, and they fancied me as um, a young Pavarotti, <laughs> and, and Luciano Pavarotti had made a movie called Yes, Giorgio that hadn't been out yet, but they were doing a follow up and they were considering me for his younger son. And so I had a momentary brush with fame. And then Pavarotti's movie came out and it tanked. Hmm. And the guy at APA would barely return my calls. And he told me, go to New York, because the way that you look, you won't be anything until you're, you know, 35, which I was 23 at that time, that was old. Yeah, so uh, No, not yet, but, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. because, you know, that, that was my, uh, that was my second attempt to get to New York. The first was in in college. I did one of the only, uh, failed Hal Prince musicals at the Kennedy center. It was called Willie Stark. And it was an opera based on, um, all the King's men story about politicians in Louisiana. And I was a dancer because I learned ballroom dancing in New Zealand, which I'll tell you that story another time. (laughs) And, uh, and the deal was, is that the eight dancers, because the ballroom, they use ballroom a lot, and and I got directed by Hal Prince. It was fantastic. He was a genius, and just to see him kind of fade away as the show opened, and we were playing in the Opera House, so it's it's a big theater. Yeah. And uh, the reviews were devastating. I think I think the Washington Post just said why. You know? <laughs> That's how they started the first paragraph. Or maybe I'm making that up, but. Uh, so I didn't get to New York then. So I went yeah. on my own and started the auditioning and did everything did the student films and sure. I don't know, I was working at FAO Shores, the toy story at the time, and I was a personal shopper. Before that was a thing uh, It was just, you know, rich people that didn't want to be annoyed with picking up and carrying their own merchandise. So uh, I was working with this guy. Um, and He was buying a bunch of toys. And he said, why don't who are you you're obviously too good to be working at a toy store What, what do you really want to be I said oh I'm an actor and he said why don't you get a real job and I said oh you sound like my mother and he said yeah well here and he gave me his number and he said I want you to meet a friend of mine and the next day I met a friend of his who was an executive at Ogilvy the you know Ogilvy and Mather and I got a job there the very next day in their uh booking department so I would book experts and celebrities on TV shows around the country. And through a series of resignations, illnesses, and uh, breakdowns, I found myself at the top of the pile very quickly running the department. (laughs) I had, uh, had, you know, a bunch of people working under me. I was working, I don't know, 12 hour days. I was just living in the office, which was a great office. And, I even had a key to the executive washroom. I mean, it's like how to succeed. It was yeah. just fabulous. And I felt like, you know, I I, I was still a clown, except I changed the clown suit for a suit suit um, that I would buy thrift stores and, you know, had a sense of style. And, and um, <laughs> I had had it. I was in the closet. I was angry. I was not healthy. And I just quit. I went into the office and I said, I can't do this anymore. Oh, I I really went in to try to get a raise for this woman who's working for me who was going to quit. Mm. And she said, No, I said, No, you have to give this woman a raise. She's integral. She does it. When I'm on the road, she does the work that's needed. No, I'll give you a raise though. And I was asking for I think I was asking for $5,000 for her. Mm. And she said, I'll give you a raise. I'll give you $10,000. And I said, that is ludicrous. You could give everybody in my department a raise with that money. And she said, no, she goes, you, you have to stay here. I know you didn't have much of a background in this. I know that you landed in this and you're doing a really great job, but you, know, you have to stay, I know that. And I said, no, and I quit. And she said, you'll never get a job again. <laughs> I said, well, I don't want a job in this. So, and I left. And I walked down the hall and three doors down this woman, Lenore, who was just really one of my mentors at the time, she said, did you just quit? And I said, yes. She said, will you work for me as a consultant? I said, where? And she said here. So I stayed my same office, my same secretary, but none of the people, none of the billing, none of the headache and a a lot, a much greater salary because I was setting my own rules. And I stayed in-house for seven years, and then I had so many conflicts because a lot of clients would leave the agency but still use me. And I was training people, uh, teaching them how to do public speaking and presentation and media appearances. And and my whole life I've stayed in the health and medical space, but I would work with a lot of experts and authors and celebrities, and uh, it it was fantastic. I mean, it was ridiculous. It, It took me to the Mountains of Erie and Jaya, which is the western half of New Guinea. It took me to to Sydney and Beijing and, and all throughout Europe. It, and <laughs> I was just like, pinch me, pinch me. And uh, I bought a piece of art everywhere I went. So I collected art and uh, I left after seven years. I just moved out of that agency and moved into a different office. But I've been a consultant. I've been a consultant for 30 years doing the same thing, uh, A success in spite of myself. I've never advertised or marketed; it was just all word of mouth, and I still continue to do that now, and and it's great. And you know, it's helping somebody talk about their passion is. I worked with a Nobel Prize winner who was going to be on CBS Morning News, and I was very young, and we met at a restaurant, and I was trying to tell her, okay, so here's the deal: you're going to be sitting in the kitchen. And um, I think it was Joan London at that time. I don't remember. Mm. She'll ask you these questions and you've got three and a half minutes. And I saw that she wasn't listening to me. And she was this brilliant grandmotherly type who had just won a Nobel for goodness sakes. Mm. And uh, I said, Are you okay? She said, I'm going to be sitting in the kitchen. And I said, Yeah, they they do their health and medical segments in the kitchen because they liken it to to mom and health and you know, it's there. And I continued talking and I gave her the points that I would like her to cover and the questions that they'll probably ask. And she just said, it's it's in the kitchen. And I said, it's in the kitchen and we really have to get over that. I said, you know, I, I said, let's make believe that it's a lab bench because it's about the same height. Yeah. And I just thought that was great because, you know, she had a, a lifetime of work and I taught her how in three and a half seconds to tell her three and a half minutes to tell her story. Yeah, And the, brev- the brevity of communication and what you can accomplish in that short amount of time is akin to a really good play or musical, mm-hmm. you know, you, the scenes are short, especially in musicals, you oh, know, yeah. how, how much you have in, day in a short amount of time. And I think before I got really involved, I, I wouldn't really pay attention to the book. I mean, the book was the vehicle to get to the songs, but you realize just how important the book is to take you on this journey, that's going to allow you to take steps and sometimes, you know, the time span can be great. but that efficiency was it really excited me so much about what you could do and I had done a little directing in college and I started doing a little bit more you know community theater, this and that you know I, I wasn't making as much money as I was when I was doing them in the breezeway of my parents' home, but it was mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun and it put together a lot of discipline so uh, when I turned 50, I said to my partner now my husband at the time I said, um, I think I want to go back to the theater. And he had no idea what I was talking about because he only knew me as a corporate guy. And he said, what do you mean? And he said, you know, you're, you're on the board of this theater and you volunteer at this theater, you donate to this theater. I said, no, no, I, I want to go back and be an actor. He said, go back. And be, Cause I guess it wasn't really that big a part of my life at that time and hadn't been for so many years. So I pulled out the old, you know, the file, that we all had that portfolio with the pictures and the headshots and and i started acting again i, I studied with uh, terry Schreiber at the t shriver studios mm-hmm. a brilliant man and when i auditioned for him he said well that was quite good and he turned over my resume and he goes how old are these credits and i said oh, they're about 25 20 years old and he goes okay um i'll give you three weeks if you can you know hold you on the class and put me in the advanced class and it was fantastic it was mm. great night was a, an agent told me i was a fresh face at 50. Mm. you know that no one had seen me so yeah. um it was good you know i uh, i i enjoyed it and the devastation of rejection that i felt when i was in my early 20s it didn't really matter it didn't it didn't matter at all i i took the feedback constructive and I took the dismissal or the judgment as not my problem. It's, mm. I was was and am secure and myself. So um, I realized that probably wasn't, you know, as much as I loved acting, you know, giving up that much of my time, I was still traveling quite a bit. I loved to travel. Um, so then I, I went back and learned a little bit more about directing and started directing again and, and did a little acting. I did a something in Westchester I can't remember the name of the theater now I did uh You're in Town as Officer of Lockstock and that, that who doesn't love that role or I just I adore that show yeah. Oh, yeah and that was fun oh. and then you know it started the directing and then I went to um I'd gone to a lot of um Broadway cares events and I was an angel and you know just really loved it and was going to the theater all the time but I um, uh, somebody I met said, Oh, you should take a course at the CTI The I can't even remember what it's called now CTI, the theatrical. My goodness, that's a shame. I can't remember. You're going to look it up. I'm I know sure exactly what you're um, talking about. I know, but it's just CTI and it's been just CTI forever.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yep.
1: Theater Institute and, I, and um, sort of put it all together. And I'm like, Oh, creative producing and creative producing means, you know, finding pieces, working with writers, nurturing, you know, helping them find their way or guiding them. And I uh, was at an event where um, I often would hang with Drew Desky and Drew had invested in some theater, but I said, you know, let's, let's do this. Let's, um, let's do it. Let's go win a Tony. I said facetiously, and then we started, we did uh, unexpected joy at the York. Which was a really good, interesting experience, and then I fell in love with Be More Chill, off Broadway, and then went on Broadway, and that was a that was really quite disappointing and devastating. But yeah. I think I knew um, it 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 had to take more than just it really was a sense of passion and really sitting down and understanding what you were passionate about. And for me, it was young people in the theater, you know, getting getting people in that are not really there, you know, the
0: the, the taken buyers, like not the yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, not 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 the people on the stage exactly. And you know the the three young women who sat in front of me who sang along to every single word of the show and it was off Broadway. I, I thought there's something there. There is really something there. So so spin forward and now, you know, I I'm working with uh, Drew and his husband Dane on some project really exciting things and I you know directed some shows. I've directed something at, um, 54 below and doing this new show with Bobby Cronin at green room 42 and a lot of other pieces that are really exciting because they are people really working on their passion and, um, very, very clear about what they want to do. And that clarity can even be clearer when you work as a, a part of a creative producing team. Um, and then getting them funded is, is a always whole
0: the, <laughs> a horse whole. of a different color.
1: <laughs> I know it really is. And, you know, yeah. I, I was really hoping, you know, I'm, i in, in went back to New Zealand. There was a lot of, of state support for the arts mm. and I, I would love that because there's a lot of pieces that don't find the light of day because they're either not broad enough appeal or commercial enough. And I love me a Hollywood to Broadway musical, don't get me wrong, but it it really, it's starting to, the scales are tipping too much to that side. And um, what I was really interested in is during the pandemic, we did some salons and got some really great people to talk about their opinion of new works that we had sent them. And I was really thinking that maybe the Renaissance that was going to come after this dark age, and truly, I believe in history shows, that's usually what happens after a dark age, that it means that theaters all across the country will be revitalized. A lot of people left New York and went back home. And, you know, I know some people who have gotten involved and there's some really sweet spaces all around the country and a lot of talent. There's so much talent. That's, you know, which when you start working in New York, you realize this is just an embarrassment of really, really good talent. And like I helped that woman who didn't understand why she was sitting in the kitchen to talk about her Pulitzer or her Nobel. Um, the same thing can be true. You know, the the author that wants to be in the biggest Broadway house, maybe it's not that. Maybe this is a an immersive piece or mm-hmm. maybe this is more of a regional play or, you know, maybe this is an off-Broadway piece. And my goodness, being involved with, you know, Little Shop, which, you know, I was lucky enough to have worked with one of the leads on a show at the arena. And he asked me if I wanted to be a part of Little Shop. I've said, yeah, because I want Off-Broadway to be revitalized. It, it, it's,
0: it's coming back. It yeah, I've noticed really, that it, in the last four years. Yeah. It's really, it's turning.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that Little Little Shop and the success of Little Shop really shows that it is possible, hmm. and, you know, I, I, I want to get involved, and, you know, there's all this real estate development going on in the theater district, but I, I don't understand why we don't have a mandate that they have to... You know, some of them for as much space as they're giving, they have to support theater. Like, I think that, you know, the one that's next going up next to the Imperial, they promised not to do any construction on Wednesday and Saturday during the day so the matinees could happen at the Imperial. I mean, that's that's a part of it, but I'm like, why aren't they forced to build a 99-seat theater, a 299-seat theater in that Space as well, and why isn't that subsidized? And why isn't that encouraged? And why isn't that the price of admission to build um, these new buildings that are going up in really what is a a sacred neighborhood that should be protected? Hmm. So that's a good I'm not point. sure how to do that. Yeah, I, that's a good point. There's it it, it has to be, and yeah. I think that especially in the blocks between sixth and seventh, there's a lot of development there, and the theaters are. It sort of looks like you know that little. Uh, What's it called? (laughs) Which one? (laughs) By by Radio City on Sixth Avenue. The name is escaping me. Little, tiny, beautiful brownstone building that was saved during the building of Rockefeller Center, which was huge. And that little tiny piece is such a rich piece of architectural history. Well, that's where the theaters are. And the theaters, you know, Need to be protected and preserved, but we need new theaters, and yeah. we need more money to go into that. So I'm excited what's happening on 42nd Street, down you know 9th to 11th, and love to be a part of something that's new. That's Curious. A,
0: goodness gracious, Michael, this is like a warm up. I feel like we can go for another two hours. I have <laughs> I have so many questions for you. First of all, Commercial Theater Institute, CTI. That's it. Commercial. What an Theater.
1: idiot! Of course, that's
0: it. I I. And I've, re- I've realized this about you over the last three years, but I, I get a very, very focused vision of, of your being able to put yourself out there in a way that many people, I think, do not. And I think because you have put yourself out there, so many unique opportunities have come to you in your life. I mean, just this calling into a radio station, doing the, the clowning bit, doing, it's all you really like, and I'm curious, I know you said this was like from growing up, but the, the putting yourself out there, have you ever, is that a conscious thought? Have you ever felt yourself hold back from putting yourself out there? You know, like a shyness, have you never been shy? You know, is it a, is it a conscious thought or do you just see something? You're like, that's it and go for it.
1: Well, i think as i get older um i realize when i would lecture i would always say there's two types of people there are people that think before they speak and there are people who speak before they think and i've always been a speaker before thinking that's one of the reasons why i was successful in what i was doing because you know uh, my mind worked fast but my mouth moved faster <laughs> um and and, and and so there is there is the substance there and you can access it i think as you get older, you realize that slowing down is is not a a physical thing. It is, Mm. but it doesn't have to be It is a mental thing. And taking a pause and thinking about especially now since things move so quickly, you know, I am an incredibly organized person in my own mind, the articulation of that organization is not always successful. Um, And I'm best when I'm partnered with somebody who has just the opposite skills. It's a, a wonderful yin yang that happens there. But as far as shy, yeah, I mean, I was um, an introvert about a lot of things. You know, in high school, I just realized, oh, if, if you're the the guy that everybody knows and, and lots of people like, it's going to be easier because I was, you know, living a, a tortured existence, as I think most teenagers do. You know, and it, it, when I grew up, being gay was not a, a positive option at all. I mean, there was in my town, there were two gay men. There was uh mr richard and mr henry i think they were and they were the two hairdressers in town and that was like the only option and they were openly made fun of in front of them and both of the men seemed to giggle along with it sorry that that was mean laugh along with it mm. um so that process took a while so i think i was shy and also also landed in new york city in 1982 83 um lived smack dab in the middle of the village. And, you know, so I know a lot of people that aren't here anymore. Mm. It was not, it it was a devastating place. AIDS just ripped through the neighborhood and Mm. ripped through one of the guys in the apartment that I was sharing. Uh, So, yeah, sort of coming into my own power about that, my goodness, now, just to ride on the subway and see 220 somethings, you know, I, first time I saw a man just sort of fall asleep on the shoulder of another man and no one cared. I was like, wow, that how that must feel and what the potential is because I know my potential was great because I felt much better about it than people who came before me. I think honoring that. So the question about are you about parts of my life? Yeah. And being forced to keep some of that inside makes you, uh, an introvert in that area Mm. it's having you know letting that go and letting that go in my 30s was so freeing so yeah shyness a lot of folks that take my courses too that's they always say i'm you know public speaking is my biggest fear i'm too shy for that i'm too shy for that well i'm like okay so let's do a bullet point outline of what you want to say in your mind you know you're you're brilliant. You've done something. You're accomplished. You're making a lot of money in this blockbuster movie, and now you're endorsing a pain medication or, or however. Mm-hmm. I get to see them, um, but there's you know, let's make it easy for you. So it's I've always loved improv, but even the best improv artists a lot of times rely on the stock on the character or the accent or the situation to go back to to kind of build the foundation. I love improv. That was I also that was part of my theatrical exploration was improv <laughs> The first time, Mark, my partner, Mark, came to see me at a little tiny bar in the Lower East Side. And I'm like, Oh, I love you so much, because you're seeing, you know, because we actually failed, bombed boozed during an improv. Oh, no. And, <laughs> and I, I, I got very, I always get very nervous. And for me, if you're not nervous, then you need to be careful. There has to be something because if you're just like, oh, okay, so I'm doing, you know, the 400th performance of this. And if you're not a little bit nervous, if my stomach doesn't do flips and my mouth doesn't get dry, then I know this is probably, I need to be careful. I need to be careful. Mm. So slowing down. I think that was the, the question. We sort of, that's one thing I do. I love uh, the fluid nature of conversation, which sometimes means losing one's complete train of thought and where you started. But, um, I I think now, when I when I work with somebody who is painfully shy, I like non pharmacological intervention is the first thing I say, because a lot of people will take a beta blocker to to calm down in the in the presentation and speaking world. And Mm. I've never been an advocate of that. I think deep breathing and diaphragmatic exercise and preparation is key. I always tell people You know, learn the first thing and the last thing that you want to say in any situation. And then you've got a strong set of bookends Mm -hmm. and your value, your intelligence, your experience, your knowledge is what's going to fill. That's the meaty part in the middle. And uh, I think it's good advice. And and I'm trying to do that now. When we pitch shows, for example, now you have the elevator pitch, which is a very, you know, 30 to 45 seconds, you're going to tell people what the show is about. And then the out is the why being involved is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And from an audience perspective, or, you know, like sometimes I, I've been in this um, seduction of, of technology that people who are really good at projections and, and, and bringing the stage to a different set of life, I think, you know, why I want them to be involved and why they need to be involved are the bookends in that conversation. So I think, I think theater, and, and for me, during the pandemic, it was the merging of a lot of different aspects and, and parts of art. So it's theater and film and television and live capture and, and audience interaction and immersive pieces, I think they can peacefully coexist in the same space. Um, But, you know, judiciously, that sounds like a real mess. What I just what I just pitched in terms of theatrical experience. But I think people want to, you know, they want to lean in. It's the thing I really like that it's the Hudson theater, right used to be a, a, A corporate space that i had done lots of presentations in and they made it into a theater i love the space but i hate it as a theater because you get to sit back and i think in theater you have to encourage people to lean in mm-hmm. um and and that shared experience in the dark of leaning in is great now that leaning in means standing up getting involved running towards or away i mean you know having your your eyes and ears and body involved in something um that either can be sitting in a static you know, s- uh, situation in, in a seat, or it can be um, experiencing it in a different environment. I think getting things outside, outdoors, and and involves a lot more uh, folks and a lot more senses, I think has been a, another good thing that's come out of the pandemic. There's been so many things, and it sounds horribly insane that because 675,000 deaths is not a good thing, but it was a time for people to take stock and focus on what they really want. And I think we're seeing that in theater. I'm reading a lot of beautiful, beautiful work that's coming out of this.
0: You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening.